The Apostle Paul said, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And the apostles would all be lying about God, for they have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Well, the reason we worship God on Sunday and not on Saturday is because today is Resurrection Day. This is why we worship on Sunday. A lot of people have wondered that. Why don't we worship God on Saturday? Isn't Saturday the Sabbath? Isn't that the day we're supposed to keep holy? Well, folks, things changed when Jesus Christ died and rose again. A brand new day was recognized as the day of the Lord. In fact, the psalmist looking forward to this day declares this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The first day of the week, Resurrection Day, Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday when we come to church, we are reminded that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. We are reminded of Christ's resurrection. But more than that, we are reminded that we too someday shall be resurrected as well. Is anybody looking forward to that day? You know you have to die first, right? <laughs> In order to be resurrected. So I just wanna make sure that's clear for everybody. Someday we will be resurrected just as Christ was resurrected. Every Sunday then we're reminded that death has no hold on us. The grave has no hold on us. We are resurrected into new life because Jesus Christ arose from the grave. Now, how important is the resurrection for us? 
Is it important for us to believe in the resurrection? Some uh, months ago, maybe a year or two ago, I mentioned uh, to you or told you the story about a, a pastor in a church down in, in Ontario, I think maybe Guelph, and uh, this woman is a pastor of a United Church. And what makes her unique is not that she's a woman, but that she doesn't believe in the resurrection. In fact, she's not sure that she would call herself a Christian. Now, if you could figure that out, you, please give me a call and explain it to me, because I can't figure that out. How on earth can you be a pastor? How on earth can you not believe in Jesus Christ and call yourself a pastor of a church? I don't get that. And quite frankly, it's, it's utter nonsense. I'm gonna tell you today, now listen to this, it's really important you get this, because you need to understand. You cannot call yourself a Christian if you do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what the Apostle Paul says to the Romans in Romans chapter 10, verse nine. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You have to embrace and believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ in order to be saved, in order to be born again, in order to go to heaven. Now, if there is no resurrection, the apostle Paul tells us, there's no resurrection, then Christ does not be raised. Let me read the, the passage to you. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Jesus has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and so is your faith. In other words, you've come to church for nothing today if there's no resurrection. You've given money for nothing towards the work of God. You've given it for nothing. It's all a sham. More than that, Paul says, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. We are liars. I'm a liar if Christ did not rise from the dead. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. So here's what we all need to understand, which makes Christianity so unique and so different from other religions. We have, as the foundation of our faith, the belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And not just, listen to this, and not just in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but in the fact that we too will be resurrected someday. You think about that for a moment. What I'm gonna be doing over the next five weeks is I'm gonna be talking to you about the resurrection. I'm gonna be talking to you about what happens when we die and what happens when, we, uh, when our loved ones die. Where do they go? Do they, is their soul sleep? Do, do they wait in their grave until the last day or do they go to be with Jesus? What happens? We're gonna be, be describing and explaining all of that to you in the days ahead. Paul, in this, in this letter and in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, he is addressing a problem in the Corinthian church. The Corinthians, they believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but what they're not sure about and what many do not believe is that, is that we will be resurrected. Now, exactly what they believe is, well, it's open to debate. There's all sorts of ideas of what happens after people die. Some people believe that, that once you die, it's over. 
Other people, they believe that, that your spirit somewhere somehow floats in, 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 in the universe somewhere. Uh, people have all kinds of ideas of what happens when we die. But here's what you and I need to understand. Jesus Christ was resurrected, and someday, because we put our faith in Jesus, we too shall be resurrected. So that's what we'll be talking about. I can hardly wait to get into it. Paul, in order to discuss the resurrection of, of you and me, he has to establish, first of all, that Jesus Christ was resurrected. So what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the foundation of our faith. And by the way, establishing for us the truth that you and I someday will have eternal life. That this life, what it is, is not the end. This is not it. Somebody say hallelujah. Aren't you glad? How many people have heard it, have said, or maybe you've heard it said that, that there'll, be, there'll be no hell because we experienced enough hell while we were here. Folks, the hell that you experienced here is nothing like the hell described in the Bible, just so you know. We need to understand what happens after we die. It's interesting, isn't it? That we all die and yet nobody's talking about it. Nobody wants to talk about it. People are afraid to talk about it. People are terrified of death. But I want you to know something today. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have nothing to be afraid of, nothing to fear. Death comes to all of us. It's, you're, you're, you, it's like going through a door and you wake up in the presence of Jesus Christ. But more about that next week. Today, we need to establish the fact that there is a resurrection. We need to establish the fact that Jesus Christ did in fact rise from the grave. So I wanna talk to you about five evidences of the resurrection. And the first evidence of the resurrection is the church itself. The first evidence of the resurrection is the church as we know it right now. Here's what Paul says. Now, I would remind you, brothers, now, I, just stop right there for a minute. He's calling the church his family, his brothers, his sisters. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you have believed in vain. What makes Paul, who's Jewish, a Jewish Pharisee, a man who understands Jewish law, that no way on earth can a Jewish person have any kind of fellowship with somebody who's a Gentile. What makes Paul, who's Jewish, call these Gentiles his brothers? Now remember something about the Apostle Paul. A lot of people forget this. The Apostle Paul was traveling throughout his land, Israel, and to the world, he was persecuting and killing Christians. He was persecuting and killing people because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now suddenly something has happened to him. He goes from being a killer now to being a brother. Something dramatic has happened. Something has happened to change his thinking and change his perception, change his ideas. 
about life? What makes him call these Gentiles in Corinth his brothers? I'll tell you what. All of them believe in the gospel of a Christ who was crucified, buried, and who rose again. That is what made them brothers. That is what made them family. Now, this is something that we see 2,000 years later. One of the wonderful things that, that, uh, that I have experienced as somebody who's traveled on missions trips is to see what happens when people from our church go to other lands. I was talking about Deb Barrett this morning. It was wonderful to go on a missions trip with her to Burundi. And I'll tell you what, it's, it's not something that you would expect. The thing that brought such joy to my heart is watching what happened when Deb met these beautiful believers in Burundi. She immediately was emotional. She started to weep, started to cry. In fact, she was weeping every day. If she's not weeping, she's laughing with joy in her heart because here she is in fellowship with people in a different country, different color skin, speaking a different language, and yet she is 100% one mind, one heart with them and experiencing incredible love, a love that, as you know, is the language of all believers. It's a thrilling thing to behold. In fact, I would say it's miraculous. How is it that people from different languages, different tribes, different parts of the world can come together and instantly be one? Some of you have traveled and you've experienced that. It's a thrilling thing. Want to know what else is thrilling? Some, a lot of people don't know this, but Burundi experienced a, a terrible, terrible um, uh, genocide. The Hutus and the Tutsis, we heard about, we heard about them uh, attacking each other in Rwanda. Well, Burundi experienced exactly the same thing. You can go to one of our churches in Burundi and you're gonna see Hutus and Tutsis worshiping God together. Without Christ, you kill each other. But when, when you worship the resurrected Christ, it brings a bond. It makes it possible for you to love each other, regardless of your background. And this is so critical. It's so important that you and I understand this as Christians. What matters is not our race. It doesn't matter where we come from. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic level is, what your place is. What matters is have you put your faith in Christ? This is the gospel that we hold to. This is the gospel we proclaim. We belong to Jesus Christ who rose from the grave. This is what binds us together. Look at this. If Jesus had not risen from the grave, then there'd be nothing to hold us together. We would not have a real master, a real Lord. We would not have a savior. The church, the church is a collection of people who put their faith in the resurrected Christ. And this is what made us, has made us one for 2,000 years. The second thing is the scripture. Look at, again, what Paul says. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. 
Paul says, what I've received, I'm now passing it on to you. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now here's something that a lot of people don't understand. Because people that are ignorant, that don't know scripture, that don't know God, they will say, oh, there is, this is all myth. It's, it's not true. There was no resurrection. How could this, how could, nobody could rise from the dead. And they try to make, try to rationalize their way around this. But here's what you need to know. Before Jesus ever died on the cross, before he was ever crucified, before he ever, ro- or ever rose again, he actually told his disciples that this was gonna happen. Now, they didn't understand what he was talking about. Sometimes, let's face it, we're just a little bit thick, aren't we? We don't always understand what we're hearing. We sit there and listen to the pastor and nod and smile. We have no idea what he's talking about. That's what it was. Those poor, those poor apostles are listening to Jesus, and Jesus is talking about the sign of Jonah, that he would descend into the belly of the whale, and then, and then on the third day, it would be spit out, and no idea what he was talking about. But he was telling them, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. And they, they're nodding, and, and what's he talking about? What, this doesn't make any sense. This is nonsense. You see, they had their own ideas. This is why it is so critical that you and I learn to submit to the word of God, to listen to the words of Christ, and not try to figure it out on our own. If Jesus says it, we believe it, and that's the end of it, right? Too often it's not the way it works. Jesus, he tells them, I've got to do this. Do you remember when Jesus tells the disciples this, and Peter rises up, says, oh, no, 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 Jesus, don't do that. That that will not happen. That should not happen. And Jesus immediately recognizes that Satan is speaking through the apostle, apostle Peter, trying to discourage him from doing the will of God. And what what does Jesus say to Peter? He said, I rebuke you, Satan. You see, The apostles had their own ideas. The Jews had their own idea of what God should do. Isn't that so often the way it is with us? We have our own idea of what God should do. And we get into prayer, rather than listening to what God wants us to do or what God wants to do, we start telling God what to do as if God is sitting in the sky wondering, what should I do next? It's a good thing that Vicky's praying, otherwise I wouldn't know what to do. Come on. Jesus says, I've got to go to Jerusalem. I've got to go to die. I've got to go and and be crucified. And Peter says, no, 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 no. No, no, you're not going to do that. Jesus, you're going to set up your kingdom here on earth. You're going to kick the Romans out of Jerusalem, and you're going to be the king, and we're going to rule with you, and it's going to be a great party. It'll be the greatest thing that ever happened. You see, that's men's idea. That's a human idea. But God's plan was to establish his kingdom in our hearts. Now, someday, someday he's going to come again. And when he comes again, he's going to establish his kingdom here on earth. That's what the Bible tells us. There's a new heaven and a new earth coming. And Jesus Christ is going to reign as king. But first, he reigns as king in our hearts. Because folks, listen to me. Sin is our problem. 
Did you hear that? Sin is our problem. Sin is the problem with humanity. Sin is what caused us to be removed from God's presence. We needed to be reconciled because we were lost. And so God sent his own son to reconcile us to him. Did you know that there's only one way to God? This lie that the philosophers and the religious of this world keep throwing at us, all roads lead to heaven, all roads lead to God, is a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so how does he do it? Well, somebody's got to die for our sin. And the scripture tells us over and over and over again, before it even happens, that Jesus must die. We read about it in, in Genesis chapter 22. Remember, Abraham has been told by God to go and sacrifice his son Isaac. And there's Abraham making his way up the mountain with his son Isaac. And Isaac is, he knows they're going to do a sacrifice and Isaac is looking around. Dad, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? Dad, what's going on? Dad? And Abraham says this, listen to this, it's prophetic and it's beautiful. Genesis 22, verse eight. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. In Genesis 22, there's the prophetic word that Jesus Christ would be given to us by God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not an accident. It was not plan B, it was always plan A. It has always been God's will, God's purpose. Peter, preaching the first sermon on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter two. He preaches his exegetical message from Psalm 16. In Psalm 16, it says, no wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. Listen, my body rests in safety for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your holy one to rot in the grave. Who's David speaking about? David is speaking prophetically about Jesus Christ dying. He, Jesus Christ is the holy one who will not rot in the grave. This is declared in Psalm. 16, and you can read about, about the suffering Savior in Isaiah 53, about it in Hosea chapter 6, verse 2. Read Psalm 22. It's all pointing to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So we have the scripture as the second evidence. The first evidence is the church the brothers, the sisters, the family of God, the second evidence is the scripture. The third evidence is the eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses are absolutely critical in any trial case. If you wanna prove something, find your witnesses and make your case. And so here's what Paul says. He says, and he appeared, Jesus appeared to Cephas. Who's Cephas? Peter. 
then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at the same time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Now I want you to see something very significant. It's not an accident that Jesus appears to Peter first. Why does Jesus appear to Peter? I'll tell you why. First of all, because remember, it was Peter who said to Jesus, you don't need to do this. You don't need to go to the cross. Just stand back. And then it was Peter who declared, Jesus, I will never forsake you. I will never betray you. You can always depend on me, no matter what happens. Jesus, you know that I'll be with you. And Jesus is arrested. And Peter, not wanting to be caught, sneaks around. From a distance, he observes the crucifixion of Jesus. He observes the beating of Christ. And while he's there, he is recognized by a young girl who says, hey, aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? You are, aren't you? No, 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 I'm not, Peter says, I'm not. Now remember, before any of this happens, Jesus makes a prophecy. He says, Peter, you say you're gonna stand with me, but I'm gonna tell you that you will have betrayed me three times when the when the rooster crows. No, no, Jesus, I, that's not me. You don't know me. You don't know how loyal I am. You don't know how, how, how much I'm gonna stand with you. You can always count on me, Jesus. And the girl says it again. No, I'm pretty sure you, you, are, you are one of Jesus' followers. You're one of the disciples. Now Peter's getting a little testy. And he swears at her. Peter, you were just in the presence of Jesus for three years and now you're cursing. Three times he denies the Lord. And Peter is cursing this girl out. And suddenly he hears the rooster crow. And he realizes that he has done exactly what Jesus said he's going to do. Can you imagine how Peter would have felt like such a loser? Such a failure? The worst of all the apostles, he would have felt that God could never love him. But folks, I want you to see something about the love of the Savior today. No matter how much you have failed him, no matter how much you have let him down, no matter how much you've been disloyal, Jesus in his love reaches out to you. And this is exactly what happens. Jesus appears to Peter, the one who disowned him. Jesus appears to Peter, the betrayer. The resurrected Jesus has such an impact on Peter. It changes everything. Now he's gonna stand up and he's gonna preach the gospel. People can accuse him of being a follower of Christ all they want. He doesn't care. He has seen the resurrected Savior. And he will stand for Jesus no matter what. He's thrown into jail. You remember the story in the book of Acts? Angel comes along and and releases him. 
arrest me, kill me, do whatever you want, but I've seen the resurrected Savior and I am going to preach about him for the rest of my life. Well, it turns out the rest of his life isn't very long because eventually, as tradition goes, Peter was arrested and he, for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, he is crucified. And he says, look, at, I, I, don't, I don't want to be, I cannot be crucified in the same manner as my master, Jesus. I am not worthy to be crucified or to die in the same way. And so they say that Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't feel he was worthy to die the way his master died. This is the power of the resurrection to transform us, to change us. The resurrection's a game changer. And you wonder if Jesus truly rose from the grave, who on earth would be willing to submit to a crucifixion upside down if it were all a lie? But my friends, it's not a lie. It's the truth. And then it was to the 12. Ah, some of you are thinking, hold on a minute here. Judas was a betrayer. Unlike Peter, Judas didn't repent. He never returned. So why did, did Paul make a mistake? And some people who think they're brilliant about the scripture said there's all kinds of inconsistencies in the scripture because if you knew the Bible, you'd know there weren't really 12. But yes, there were. You'll read in Acts chapter one that the apostles understood that Judas' position needed to be filled. And so they chose a man by the name of Matthias, you can read about it. And why was Matthias chosen to make up the 12? Bill, because it says in Acts chapter one, verse 22, that the only way somebody could be considered an apostle or be included amongst the 12 is if they were a witness to the resurrection. Matthias saw the resurrected Christ. So Jesus appeared to the 12, and then he appeared to 500 all at once. Now look at this is significant. Because if it was just one at a time, then you could say, oh, well, you just all imagined it all in your own little corner. But it's 500 people now looking at Jesus. And they're looking at each other, and they're looking at Jesus, and they're saying, hey, do you see what I see, Vicky? Is that, are you seeing that? Doris, did you see that? Am I, are my eyes playing tricks on me? And they all came to the conclusion, the same conclusion. We're all seeing Jesus. 500 witnesses are seeing the same thing. Don't let anybody tell you that the resurrection is false or not true. There were 500 witnesses to this fact. And Paul says, most of these people that I'm talking about are still alive. You can go and verify this for yourself. Go, go into Jerusalem and ask, hey, were you one of the people? You'll find somebody. There's over 500 of them. And they'll give a testimony to what they saw. Yes, they saw Jesus. Folks, this was fresh information. In fact, uh, many scholars believe that the book of 1 Corinthians was maybe one of the first books ever written, even before the Gospels. This is fresh off the press. People understand that these 500 eyewitnesses saw this. 
Folks, when you hear people trying to discredit scripture, trying to discredit your belief, don't believe them. Understand and know the word of God. I've read so much on this over the last 40 years, and I've, I've read some of the greatest minds on the subject, lawyers, scholars, and they all will say the same thing, that the evidence of a resurrected Christ is about one of the surest facts of history of anything that we know in history. But you know Satan. Satan wants to discredit the resurrection because listen, if there is no resurrection, there is no Christianity. If there is no Christianity, your faith is in vain. But we know today that Jesus rose from the dead, that he is a risen savior and that my faith is sure. Yes, then he appeared to James. And this is, again, very, very important to understand. James was a brother of Jesus. And quite frankly, James didn't believe in Jesus. That's often the way it is with siblings, right? My siblings, they never believed in me. Oh, it's just Alan, just ignore Alan. James said about Jesus, he's crazy. I think my siblings have said that about me a few times. But something happens to James. James in Mark chapter three, verse 21, he, he saw that Jesus was preaching all the time. He wasn't stopping to eat, wasn't stopping to just take care of himself. And the family had decided, Jesus' family decided that he was crazy. And they came to take him away. Read about it yourself. Mark chapter three, verse 21. But after James saw his brother, his half-brother Jesus, resurrected and alive, he put his faith in him. That's the only way that James, the cynic, the skeptic, James, the one who called Jesus crazy, James believed in the resurrected Savior because he saw his brother put in the tomb and he saw his brother alive again. Some would say hallelujah. This is the power of this gospel message. Oh, the resurrection, my friends, is a sure thing. And then we recognize that Jesus appeared to the apostles again. You can read about it yourself in Acts chapter one, verse three. Jesus gives him uh, the great commission He breathes on them the Holy Spirit. They receive the Holy Spirit. And then on the Lord's day, again, the Sunday, Jesus ascends to the Father. And these apostles who have now witnessed the resurrected Christ, they said, come on, guys. Let's go wait on the Lord. They went to the upper room. They prayed, they prayed, and suddenly the spirit of the living God fell upon them and little tongues of fire rested on their heads. They began to speak in various languages. And Peter, the doubting Peter, the fearful Peter, the timid Peter stands up and he preaches the great gospel message of Acts chapter two. Wow. This is the work of the resurrected Savior. But there's, there's more. You ever seen those commercials? But wait, there's more. You can get the special bowl, but wait, there's more. 
will give you two knives for the price of one. There's more. There's the special witness. His name is Paul. Look what it says here. It says, last of all, as to one untimely born, Jesus appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, but because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, Paul says, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Paul was crucifying people. He was putting them to death. He was persecuting the church. But Acts chapter nine tells us what changed his heart. He was on his way to Damascus to do more damage to the church. And on his way, do you know what happened? There was a blinding light and he fell off, fell to the ground. (laughs) And he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, if this happened to you, I can assure you, you would address that voice the way Paul did. He said, Lord, who are you? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. This man who was going around persecuting people because of the gospel of Jesus Christ dying for our sins, being buried and rising again, this man has now seen for himself this resurrected Christ, and now he too is a believer in the resurrected Jesus. Paul's testimony is yet another evidence that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fact of history. And then finally, one last testimony, one last evidence, and that's the common message. And here's what Paul says, so it makes no difference whether I preach or Apollos preaches or Peter preaches or, 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 or James or whoever. It doesn't matter who preaches that. We're all preaching the same message, the one that you've already believed. And what has been the message for 2,000 years? That Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, and he rose again. That's been the common message. And there's all kinds of churches and all kinds of denominations and all kinds of branches of Christianity that have spread throughout the world. We're talking about 2 billion believers or more, and they all believe the same thing. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried, and he rose again. This is a sure, sure thing, folks. This faith in Jesus Christ is a sure thing, and that's what we're celebrating this Sunday. It's what we celebrate every Sunday. It's what we celebrated on Good Friday when you and I took communion together. We're celebrating the death and resurrection of Christ. Now, let me just say this. The great need of this world is for a savior. If we needed something else, God would have sent somebody else to do something else. But God looked at us in our sin 
in our lost state. And he said, what is the great need here? And God knew we needed a savior. And so he sent us Jesus. Folks, I'm gonna tell you something right now. The great need in your life right now is that you surrender to Jesus and that you deal with your sin. Sin is our problem. Did you get, did you get that? Sin is our problem. We want to run to the doctor. We want to run to the psychiatrist, the philosopher, the educators. We just both go anywhere and to anyone but Jesus. And why don't we want to run to Jesus? Because he's the one that's going to tell us the reason you are in difficulty and struggle is because of the effects of sin. But we don't want to hear that. Listen, before you hear the good news, you're going to have to hear the bad news. The bad news is we are all sinners. God looked down and he found that there is none righteous. No, not even one. Not even one. We need a savior. Can you say, to, can you, can you say with me today, I'm a sinner in need of God's grace? Can you say that? A lot of people can't. A lot of people can't say that. They won't say that. Listen, you cannot be converted. You cannot be born again until you can say, it's not my brother, not my sister, not my husband, not my kids, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I'm the one, Lord, that needs your mercy and your forgiveness. And I know this because I feel like the Apostle Paul, I'm the chief of sinners. If the Apostle Paul were here right now, he and I would have a fight. And that's what the fight would be about. He would say, no, Alan, I'm the chief of sinners. And I'd say, no, I'm the chief of sinners. And then Dennis Weeb would jump in and say, well, hold on a minute, Paul and Alan, I'm the chief of sinners. And then, and then Dennis's mother, Doris, would jump in there and say, no, no, I am the chief of sinners. Do you understand today that our problem is sin and the solution is Jesus Christ, his death on the cross. He has taken away our sin. And he has broken the power of sin and he's broken the power of death. So we have the hope of eternity. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is what we're preaching. Hey, you know what? We have tried for millennia to, to make it without God, haven't we? The Greeks did, oh yes, they came up with the perfect society. They called it the golden age. It lasted for how long? 50 years, <laughs> and it all fell apart. The Romans tried the same thing. It all fell apart. Hitler, this Third Reich, he thought he had all, he had all sorted out, and that lasted for a few years. America, America, the American experiment. In the opening words of the Declaration of Independence. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. They're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 1776 is when these words were written and a new nation was born. And over 200 years later, they still can't quite figure it out. You see what, they, what the Americans don't understand, what's, what Canadians don't understand, is that our problem is not our statements. 
It's not our politics. It's not our constitution. The problem is the human heart, which is gripped by sin. This is our problem. And we're watching right now in America, we're watching the great American experiment that's lasted for 200 years. We're watching it now unravel. It's falling apart. The wheels are coming off because they don't understand it. Hey, I'm gonna tell you something, folks. America could work if everybody there was a Christian. Guess what else could work? Communism could work. Communism could work if everybody was a Christian and acted like a Christian. But it doesn't work because by nature we're selfish and full of sin and arrogance and pride and self-centeredness. So we need a savior. Jesus came to save us. I wanna close with these words. Jesus is victorious. Victorious over our sin. I love those words in Colossians 2.14. Jesus had, has broken the, the law, or we have broken the law in many ways. And those sins were held against us by the law. That law had writings which said we were sinners. But now Jesus has destroyed those writings by nailing it to the cross. Your sins have been washed away. Watch this. On the Lord's day, on a Sunday, Jesus Christ appeared to a man by the name of John on an island called Patmos. And Jesus said to John, write this down. I'm giving you a revelation. I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen at the end, at the end of the days before I return. We get to the end of the Revelation, Revelation 20. Here's what we read. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what had been done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. My friends, if you're a Christian today, you face death once. If your name is in the Lamb's book of life, our bodies will die and we will be resurrected with brand new bodies, glorified bodies like our Lord's body. But if your name is not in the Lamb's book of life, well, 
Anyone whose name was not found in the, written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. The story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just about a man coming back from the dead. It's about a Savior who has conquered sin so that you don't have to be captive to sin anymore. And you don't have to worry about death anymore. Because of the great promise of the resurrection. Folks, I'm going to see my grandpa and grandma again. I'm going to see my step-siblings once again. I'm going to see Scott and Stacy and Amber. I'm going to see Grandpa and Grandma Hausen, Grandpa and Grandma Rudd. I'm going to see Uncle Jack and Aunt Anne, missionaries to Africa. There are people in my family who have gone before. I'm going to see Mr. and Mrs. Lord again. I'm going to see Henry again. Going to see Betty again, Martha. Going to see Ernie and Mary Craker again, the Coonies, the Norsworthies. Going to see your grandparents again, your aunts, your dad. This is our blessed hope because Jesus rose. From the dead, someday, those who put our faith in Christ will rise with him to eternal life. Our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Spending an eternity with our master. Stand with me, please. Father, we give you praise. We give you thanks today for our blessed hope. God, we pray in Jesus' name that you would give us a peace in our hearts. If there are any today who have not yet put their faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, may this be the day. Oh God, thank you that we don't have to clean ourselves up. We don't have to make ourselves perfect. We need to come as we are because you know that we are sinners. You know that we're lost. You know, oh God, that we need you. And so with great love and compassion, you bid us come, come to you and receive eternal life. Father, we pray that everybody here today would make their peace with you this day, this moment, based on the work that Christ did at the cross. If we put our faith in Jesus, he is, and if we, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for our blessed hope. And we pray it in your name. And everyone said it with me? Amen, amen. Christ has risen. Enjoy your day.